Welcome to Books with the Boys. I'm your host, Jackson Freeman. With me today is Griffin Orr, Joseph Scher, and Rigoberto Arias. We will be discussing Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. In this section of our podcast, me and Griffin are going to be discussing some of the themes and how they affect the story. Griffin, what themes are shown in this story? One of the themes I picked out for the story is, do not live a life of fear. Okonkwo is a character dictated by fear and his fear-based pride. This fear is what inevitably drives him to his self-inflicted death. Another theme I brought out is that change is always inevitable. Okonkwo, upon his re-arrival to Umo Ophia, attempts to fight the change introduced by the missionaries. Okonkwo's fight against this change is one of the leading factors in his self-destruction. So, huh, how do the, these themes affect the story, and more importantly, its tone? As you can clearly see, both of these themes show the weak inner workings of Okonkwo, contrary to his tough, mighty exterior. I think this brings out a tone of weakness and vulnerability. So I, I know we've talked about multiple themes here. Is there one theme that is more universal than some of the others? I would say to not live a life of fear is definitely the more overarching of the two themes. All right. Thank you for your contribution, Griffin. In this section of our podcast, me and Joseph will be discussing the structure of the story. Joseph, what is the significance of splitting the story into three parts? Well, I think the significance of splitting the story is that it emphasizes the change that took place in Okonkwo's life. It pushes along the story by uh, creating a different setting. It's like um, it's like a story with two sequels included into it. So, how is the journey of Okonkwo reflected in the story's structure? Well, the first uh, part of the story is Okonkwo's life in his village. It is dense with African language and his proverbs, and it draws you in to the culture. It really helps you understand who Okonkwo is and how he came to be. And the second part uh, depicts his exile, and there is a lack of the previously exposed culture, such as the proverbs and the language, and it introduces you to the effects of Okonkwo leaving Umofia and the introduction of the missionaries in Umofia. And the third part, Okonkwo's return to Umofia, highlights obvious differences in Okonkwo's images of Umofia and what is actually happening in reality. It is a framework of a novel or novelization of Okonkwo's journey. So, I know we have these three parts, but how is the first part different than the third? The first part is, like again, dense with African language, and it's filled with proverbs, and the language really depicts the culture of Amophia. But the third version, the third part, is, I guess, 
lacking all of that with the effect of the missionaries and Okonkwo's exile, it really emphasizes how different the world has become and what Okonkwo wants it to be and what it unfortunately is. In this section of our podcast, me and Rigo will be discussing figurative language and how it is used throughout the story. So Rigo, how is figurative language used in this story? Well, Jackson, I'd say figurative language is used throughout the story in multiple ways, like by using metaphors, similes, and personification. An example of this is would be when the author says, quote-unquote, he knew that he was a fierce fighter, but that year had been enough to break the heart of a lion. This right here is a metaphor making a comparison between a conquo and a lion. How a conquo might be so strong and manly like a lion, but a lengthy battle of attrition, like what happened to him that year, was enough to hurt him. Just how some things can hurt a fierce apex predator like a lion. So, how does this figurative language affect the structure of the story? I would say figurative language really enhances the storyline in a way. It gives out some of the theme without having to go deeper into it. Uh, without having to be so explicit about it and explain it to the reader, making it easier to go on with the story. So why is figurative language used, Rigo? I'd say figurative language is used to provide more of a broad picture about what is happening in the story. It gives the reader more of a visual representation about what is happening while making a comparison to things that are easier to understand. Thank you for your input, Rigo. So in this section... I'll be talking to our host, Jackson, about alternate textual outcomes. So Jackson, what if Okonkwo hadn't have committed suicide? Well, Griffin, I think that if Okonkwo hadn't have committed suicide, then he still would have been really a shell of a man. He would have had nothing to live for. And especially after the tribe had chosen not to fight with him, he, he really felt like he just didn't have anything going for him. He didn't. Yeah, point. exactly. He just, he, he wasn't the same. Agreed. For our second question, what if Okonkwo had not killed Ikmefuma? Well, I, I think if he hadn't have, have done that, it really, it wouldn't, the, the story would never have happened. It, that was in a way bad juju for the entire story. It, it really shaped everything that happened. Agreed. I think uh, it gave a very stark picture of what we thought was a blossoming father figure and turned him straightforwardly into a killer. For our third question, what if the tribe had chosen to fight the foreigners with Okonkwo? I think if they had chosen to fight, you, you know, it's they really would have been, I don't want to say outnumbered, but definitely outgunned. The foreigners were far more advanced and just better prepared for any form of fighting. So with the tribe choosing not to fight, I, I think that was a better option all around. I, I really, if they would have fought, I think it would have been a significant number of casualties on both sides. And more it, so on the tribe. More so on the tribe, but it really just wouldn't have gotten anywhere. I, I think that would have been a lot of blood spilled for no reason. And I agree. The The tribe was definitely just trying to survive. And Okonkwo was a man of very polarizing beliefs. I think Okonkwo was also just very mentally unstable at this point, because like we said in some of the previous questions, he 
really wasn't the same loving father figure we see at the beginning of the story. And even then, hard to love. Thank you, Jackson, for your contribution. No problem. And that concludes our podcast for Things Fall Apart. I would like to thank our guest speakers, Rigo, Griffin, and Joseph. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Dollar Shave Club, Shave Time, Shave Money, and Duluth Trading. Try Duluth Trading's all-new Dang Soft Underwear. Dang, that's soft. We'll see you next week whenever me, Griffin, Rigo, and Joseph discuss To Kill a Mockingbird. Chinua Achebe was born in Nigeria in 1930. He wrote Things Fall Apart in 1958 as his first novel, and through that and his other books, Arrow of God and Man of the People. He became a face of the conflict in Africa for the United States. He served at the University of Massachusetts in Nigeria for his unfortunate car accident in 1990 left him paralyzed from the waist down. After this, he spent the rest of his wheelchair-ridden life as a professor at Brown University at Bard College in New York. Before he died in 2013, he missed the Man Booker International Prize, Dorothy and Lillian Gish Prize, and honorary degrees from over 30 universities worldwide. We will now be discussing Things Fall Apart.